Hello, gorgeous friends, and welcome to the Embracing Enough podcast. You know, I've always said that women and girls have some incredible stories to tell. And that's what we do here. We share our stories in order for others to feel seen, heard, and hopefully less alone. This is your host, Dina Skippa, founder of Enough Labs, and I am so excited that you're here. And this is our fourth season. I still can't believe it. When I started out this podcast, I had no idea of the types of stories that we would tell, and even more, the impact that we would have. And here we are, continuing to have some much needed conversations around our enoughness, our confidence, and how to own our truth. This season, well, we're doing things a little differently, choosing to shine a spotlight on those who are brave enough to be called a disruptor. We're going deep with folks who have chosen to disrupt things for the better, even if it meant that they had to be the blueprint to do it. It's gonna get real over here, but the hope is that you walk away from each episode feeling more inspired to be a disruptor yourself, whatever that looks like for you, all while embodying the essence of joy, courage, and permission. Listen, I've been on my own journey of embracing my own enoughness, for a very long time. And this season, it just feels like perfect timing to unpack what being a disruptor looks like and how it connects to our own personal definitions of confidence. Let's get into it. Hey friend, have you heard the latest? Well, you know I'm all about curating spaces for women to experiment with their confidence. And I've just landed on another way to do that. It's called the Unlearning Lab Community, which is a membership program that will help you unlearn the toxic stories that you have had on repeat for far too long and that have been holding you back. Wouldn't you love to have a space to meet other women who are feeling exactly like you? Women who are finally ready to unlearn those toxic patterns that have been fueling their negative self-talk, to finally give themselves permission to take up space and to celebrate themselves for who they are and everything that they've been through. Well, look no further. Head to the link in the show notes to jump into the Unlearning Lab community. It's only a six-month commitment, and the founder's rate is $97 a month, and the program starts on June 15th. I hope to see you there. Well, welcome, friends. We are back with another episode of Embracing Enough, the podcast brought to you by Enough Labs. It's your girl, Dina, and I am so elated to be sitting down with the one, the only, Lena Abirafe. I've got to get into this story. I mean, if you don't know Lena, get out your phone, your computer, Google her now, because she is incredible. But actually pause on that. You don't have to do that right now. She's going to walk us through her story, her incredible journey, and all of the amazing work that she has been doing to build a better world for women. So I'll take you back. I'm sitting across from Lena right now. We're here on a Zoom, and we actually met more than 20 years ago. And I can recall 
the very connection that was made for us to meet each other was with my very first mentor, Gretchen Bloom, who told me if I was heading to London, which I was at the time to go check out schools for a master's program, that I absolutely had to meet Lena Abirafe, who was doing her PhD at the time at LSC. And I was like, well, who is this woman? Why do I have to meet her? And she just told me, Lena is incredible. And if there's anyone that you want to sit down and talk to about the space and the sector of gender equality and women's empowerment, she is the one. And so when my mentor Gretchen told me to do anything, I was like, okay, got it. And I swear to God, meeting Lena felt like I was, I mean, I was fangirling immediately because she had already done so much incredible work in her life. But her energy was infectious. And I just absolutely loved listening to her. And we have kept in touch over the years. And it's just such a joy to be in this moment where both her and I are building, are working collectively to build a better world for women. So Lena, thank you for agreeing to sit down with us. Thank you. I mean, talk about incredible women. It takes one to know one. You know, we just got to follow in each other's footsteps for all eternity. I it's think so that's the way it should be. It's so true. So I'll read a little bit about what you do and the incredible nature of who you are. But then I want to hear in your own words so you, the, the audience can hear who Lena is. But, you know, Lena is an Arab-American activist. She is an unapologetic feminist. She has worked for so many incredible organizations like the United Nations, the Arab Institute for Women at the Lebanese American University. She has traveled to more than 20 countries around the world living and working. Countries like Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Papua New Guinea, Haiti, Chad, Sierra Leone, Congo, and Lebanon most recently to name a few. She has seen some of the most heartbreaking situations that women have been in and I think has stories that will go beyond the time that you will be on this planet. <laughs> but I mean, you've done so much incredible work, Lena. Tell us though, who you are. What's your story? So my story is so many things. And I think when you come from a, a background that is complicated, like mine, perhaps like yours, other people, they feel like, with my Lebanese and Palestinian identity, Arab, American identity, all sorts of things, all of these hyphenated bits that make up me, you've got to really make a deliberate choice about who you are in the world and who you want to be. You know, you don't, you get attached to all these labels. You don't, you don't really, um, you don't think about who you are in the world. But for me, none of those labels ever felt important until I understood uh, what it meant to be a woman until I understood what it meant to be a feminist and that for me became the most important aspect of my identity and when I learned what that meant uh, I took that on and I said you know countries cultures religions places whatever else isn't what's important to me it is this and the reason it was important to me is because of the injustice and inequality that I saw for women and girls all around the world. And I said, you know, there there it is. That's the fire that has gone off. It's the it's the bomb that exploded in my stomach. And I couldn't couldn't sit there and not do anything 
about it. So that became not just the most important part of who I am, but uh, what gets me up in the morning, why I fight, my reason for doing everything. Um, and so that really is my, my one true call to action. Mm. It is to build a better world for women. It is to live my feminist principles. It is to leave this place, this planet, a tiny bit better than the way I found it. So the next generation doesn't have to feel the way that we did. I mean, that's why you're invited on the podcast, though, for those reasons and more. And, you know, for those listening, I had the opportunity to be a guest in Lena's home a couple of weeks ago back in New York City. And Lena, I would love it if you felt comfortable sharing, you know, a little bit more about the story of when you first learned about how women were living. You know, what what circumstances... Um, and conditions women were living in, you know, and this was very early days, like back in high school, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember you you talking about the the essence of safety and how this had really come, um, like, into sharp focus for you around, like, the bomb going off inside of you of, like, this is my why. These, this is my raison d'etre. This is, like, everything, and I can't now unsee it. Take us back to that moment. You know, I think it happens to so many of us, at least it happened to me as a very young girl, where I realized that the world just doesn't see us as equal. There were little things, you know, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts, as they say, right? Tiny microaggressions and discriminations and the sense that the world just wasn't giving us space and choice and voice and opportunity and access and I felt that as a girl and it just you know slice 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 and I thought there's something wrong here but I don't know I don't have the words I don't have the vocabulary but I feel it and to feel it at a very young age that sense of injustice and inequality and discrimination and oppression I mean that's a lot I think I was just this angry kid but it really crystallized for me when I walked into a high school class called Comparative Women's History. I talk about it all the time because everybody's got that moment where the feelings that you have meet the vocabulary that you need. And that fusion gives you the force, propels you forward. And you say, oh, wait, it's not just me. It's not just a feeling that I have. It is a global problem. And so that when I learned that, uh, when I realized that for me, for women, for girls, everywhere, all around the world, the biggest problem is lack of safety. It's about the experience we have of violence, very broadly defined, and the fact that we have to restrict our lives and our freedom and our mobility and our choices and everything because of that violence. And I've said many times, even the fear of violence is a form of violence. And we cannot fail to see that we're living our lives in these ways they're much more narrow than we should because we are not safe because we are at risk because of the existence of violence against women and so little angry me was like i'm going to start there that is where i'm going to start and that is not the end that is the beginning that is the non-negotiable starting point because you can't access any other rights or opportunities or choices resources whatever unless you solve this one thing first you know you can build a million girls schools but if you're not safe in getting there no one's going to go. You can have quotas for women in office or women in um, 
on board in boardrooms, but if they aren't safe in the office or in the space or in on, at home on the street or in public transportation, all of those opportunities are not going to be accessed. And we have a right to those opportunities. We have a right to be safe first. So I said, well, let me start there with the thing that that hurts the most. I feel like it's the the biggest block to all of those opportunities. And so that's where I started. That's where you started. And you haven't finished because- That's where I'm still starting. (laughs) Every day I wake up and I restart. Yeah. Because we're not done, nowhere near. Over the last two decades, I've seen you work and travel in some of the most complex, challenging environments. And we're, we're talking right now about, you know, where that moment came to you about knowing that it was the issue of safety that needed the greatest attention. Um, you know, working in the places that you've worked, had you explicitly focusing on gender-based violence, right? Prevention, awareness, response. Um, talk to us about now on the other side of that career where you've you're you're stepping into a new chapter what are what are the takeaways that you're thinking about that work it it was an interesting progression because i did about 25 years of that working on women's rights working to end violence against women across 20 different countries and i thought okay you know this is good this is good but it's not enough so i i feel like Part of my story is in the search for more and bigger and better and faster because I want to see this change in my lifetime so desperately. Then I moved into academia and I was like, I know this is going to be a great place. Maybe this will be enough. Maybe here I can plant the seeds. I can fuel the fire. I can do the research to generate the action, to change the policies for social change, for behavior, whatever. And then I was like, okay, well, that's good. That's important, but that's not enough. So. I feel like in those spaces, you know, having been in the field, in in war zones, in very complicated contexts, and then having spent time in academia, both I was in both I was able to plant the seeds, but now I want I want more. I'm greedy. I want to see I want to see it move faster. I want to see a better world for women and girls so desperately. So working independently. Uh, I think has given me an opportunity to take the lessons from those two very different sectors, the skills that I've got, you know, be, I'm a bit of a unicorn, like the deep sort of gritty field experience and the academic experience and a PhD in books and stuff like that. And I've smooshed it together and I've said, I'm just going to galvanize people. I'm going to tell my story and talk about what I know happens to women and girls around the world everywhere, not just over there everywhere here too i sit here in new york it happens here all the time every single day i'm going to take all that stuff the stories the facts the data the experience my experience other women's stories and i am going to share it i'm going to amplify it i'm going to broadcast it i'm going to blast it because everyone needs to hear it and every time i speak every time i open my mouth people say wow oh my god you know more tell us how what can we do i can't believe it i never knew this is terrible so if i if I'm at least planting that seed in an audience that otherwise didn't know, wasn't informed, hadn't been reached, didn't hear, um, you know, once you see it, you never unsee it, right? So let me do that. Let me be the fire starter for those people, and that's how it's going to spread. And maybe then, maybe then it'll be enough, mm-hmm. right? 
Well, let's hope because it, it sort of evokes this question for me that I've been unpacking a lot lately. And when is enough enough? Oh. I mean, you spent more than two decades doing incredible work as a humanitarian worker and and contributed to I'm sure countless examples of of change and impact and then you went on to work in academia and and here you are speaking to audiences because folks listening uh not only has lena had this incredible international development career and uh, a, a widely published you know academic she's also an author she's also a, an internationally sought after speaker uh you know all of these things i remember listening to one of your talks and i said this to you in new york that you were growing tired of citing the same statistic that one in three women will experience intimate partner violence or gender-based violence in their lifetime and for the past 25 years you've been in this field and that statistic still reigns supreme. What would you say would be a marker of knowing that enough is enough? Has Lena done enough? And I know it's not just you, Lena. <laughs> I'm just I'm speaking to myself and, and everyone listening, I'm sure can resonate with this. You know, it's a great question. I think about it all the time. Yeah. Because on the one hand, you know, I really just thought that my career would be head down, knee, dirt, knee deep in the dirt, you know, hands in it, and just shut up and do the work. And there was a part of me maybe that felt like I couldn't claim the space, take the stage, grab the mic, you know, raise my voice, because I hadn't earned it. Mm. I think as women, we feel that a lot, you know, that idea that um, we have to be so overly qualified, so incredibly credible, armed with as much as we possibly can, practically bulletproof in all of our experience and evidence in order to say what we know needs to be said. So, you know, in looking back, like, I don't believe in regrets at all because I think my path has been fabulous and fascinating and I feel so lucky to have, have traveled that road. But, you know, could I have raised my voice sooner? I could have. Sure, I could have stood up and said, you know what, here's what I see that is happening and you all need to listen because I knew it, I knew it. And part of why I went back to school to pursue a PhD was because I said, I need to say something and no one's, no one's gonna listen to me unless I do this. Mm. So I'm going to get this degree that took me forever uh, so that people will listen. Well, I'm gonna do this thing so people will listen. I'm gonna do that thing so people will listen. Well, people should have listened a long time ago because you're right, we've been saying the same thing for decades. And that one in three figure, you know, it still makes me sick every time I say it. It really does. Like I have this visceral sort of reaction and my stomach makes me nauseous. That is probably an underestimation of the reality. Of course. Right? Of course. Even, I don't know a woman who doesn't have a story. And when you think of it that way, and when you start to ask and you start to scratch the surface and you start to see it all around you, you think, oh my God, how, how can I not stand up and do something and i think it's that idea the idea that now after all these decades and accumulated experience and evidence and anecdotes and degrees and whatever acronyms are you know follow my name the idea is now to say here's what i know here's what i've seen here's what i've done here's what i'm doing here's what i want you to do look around and you'll see it and when you see it you have to be angry about it you can't not be you know there is a line we all have that has been crossed over and over again 
those those violations and discriminations from the most subtle to the most severe. It is time to say enough to that. And for me, I also say enough to myself because I also don't feel like I have to save everyone. And that is so important and so liberating. And you know, now that I've kind of zoomed out and I've said, okay, I'm going to take all this stuff and, and share it in a very different way, use the voice that I have to make the change that I want. I'm also spending my time writing a memoir because I feel like I too need to see myself in the mirror and say, look, you know, this, this is enough. You've given every breath of your adult and teenage life to this one thing. And even if you haven't solved all the world's problems, that's got to be enough because it, it's really more than most, isn't it? A lot more than so, most. <laughs> right? So I feel like not to compare with other people because everyone has their own journey and their own priorities, you know, and let them follow that path. But, you know, when I look at myself and what I set out to do, you know, I have to learn to be satisfied with what I've achieved. And yes, um, it is nice to see that now, um, now it is enough. And that's the point I was trying to drill home because nowhere would I have ever suggested that it was on. Of course, Harris feels equally as passionate about this as I do. There, that it was I never. He agrees with me. I know it was never on your shoulders to solve that issue. But I can empathize being in a sector, in a career, in work that feels so dire that it, it can consume you. It can swallow you whole. And I, something that someone had said to me a couple of years ago, and I, and I always keep this with me, is because our missions are very aligned. And she said, Dina, I'm so inspired by the work that you want to do in having this conversation with women and girls. But my intention and my hope for you is that you actually recognize that you're included it's not just you doing this work for everyone else is that you are women and girls. You also get to be included in this. And so getting to a state of being satisfied, but also still wanting more, what talk to us about for you now stepping into this phase where you're writing your memoir, um, new partnerships, new speaking opportunities, a global stage, really. What does that feel like now as you are still clearly claiming, yes, and there's still more? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does that look exactly. like for you? You know, it, it's interesting because it all kind of came to a head with me with an expression that I'd heard before, but, you know, you never really, like, you don't hold the mirror up to yourself very much. And so somebody said, you don't have to set yourself on fire to keep others warm. And I thought, oh, wow, that's it, isn't it? And I used that as the title of a, a blog that I recently wrote to say, you know, I have set myself on fire. And then when I realized that I had done that, I also noticed that I too am those women. I have stories too. And those stories are very much a part of the driving force of my anger, my conviction, and my desire for more, more, more. I want to fix it because I want to fix me too. And I feel like realizing that, you know, coming all the way, you know, full circle back to yourself and your own anger at your own lack of safety. um, You know, I feel like I I inherited that story 
you know, all women inherit that story. You know, I say it's it's an experience that we share from the fetus to the funeral. There is no moment where you know, we might not be conscious of it, but there's no moment where we uh, are able to really liberate ourselves of it and live full and free and rich lives that we deserve. It's so interesting because like you were saying, going back to a couple of moments ago when you were saying, I wished I had spoken up, had, had, had said something sooner, or, but, but being stopped by the idea that you thought you needed more more credentials, more experience to be, to be able to take that stage. And I can recall sitting across from you in the cafe in London and thinking like, this woman is a superstar. And we never see ourselves the way others see us. Now, 20, clearly, like almost 23 years later from meeting you, I'm still like, are you kidding me? You have done so much. And, and I think what's, what's so inspiring to know you is that like I said, I invited you on the podcast because this season is dedicated to all women who I see as being disruptors. And it's not only that you're, you're, for me, one of the bona fide disruptors, but you're charting your own path and you're creating the blueprint. Have you looked at it through that, through that lens? Have you been able to zoom out and really see like, wow, I'm pretty incredible. <laughs> And I'm still working at it. It's so funny because until you had said the word disruptor, I didn't give myself that title. Mm. It, it's, it's an interesting question, and I see it come to a head, especially when it comes to titles. You know, I look at myself and I say, all right, I'm an activist, I'm an academic, I'm an author, I'm an aid worker, I'm a speaker, I'm a, you know, what, but like, what is my title? I don't know what my title is maybe because there's so many yeah. but I know I know why I'm doing what I'm doing you know and I have to keep bringing myself back to the why of building a better world for women so if that means disrupting the status quo which it certainly does because you know I wouldn't have done this if we had the kind of world that women and girls deserve right I could have done a million other things with my time in life I don't even know what those would have been because I've never actually thought about it I mean, I really, I don't know, would I have been an engineer or an architect or a doctor or a law? Like, I never thought of it. And that's the, that's the fascinating and perplexing thing. And when I zoom out, you know, people say, well, why did you, why are you so obsessed with this one thing? And I said, well, because I had to be. I didn't have a choice. I mean, when I understood, when I put the words to the feelings, I was like, that's it, the end. But it really was the beginning. Right. At age 14, right? And it's been nothing but that ever since. I never allowed myself to cultivate any other skills or interests. I almost feel like I almost feel like it kind of found you, and it and it can it can sort of feel like the blueprint is being developed as we're walking the path. So you can look backwards to fourteen years, fourteen year old Lena until now, and be like, wow, that really was. I have been making the blueprint, but I, I really want to talk about, cause one, one of the major driving forces in having this be the theme for this year, this season of the podcast, um, is that oftentimes disruptors who are charting the blueprint, it can feel kind of isolating. Have you felt yeah. that at times? I mean, talk to us about your experiences in, in places like Haiti or Afghanistan 
or the Congo, where it has some of the highest rates of gender-based violence. Papua New Guinea, um, you know, how 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 has that felt when you're like clearly in the throes of developing the blueprint, but then also grappling with sort of the isolation of it all? Absolutely. I mean, I think you're always the lone voice in the room. You know, you're the voice also people don't want to hear and don't want to face. Even women who are survivors of that kind of violence, you know, very often don't want to face it. So, and I guess you could say I learned to disrupt in ways that would meet people where they are. Because if I'm not doing that, you know, then I'm bulldozing ahead. I'm bulldozing over them. And that's not the point. You know, the point is really to give people uh, the sense that they own that process, you know, that they understand uh, what is happening and what they want and, and who they are and who they want to be. It's not me telling them that, you know, it should never be me saying, you know, this is, this is wrong and this is barbaric and, you know, this has to stop. It already comes from within. And, you know, I learned that, I learned that lesson with uh, an Afghan man, actually, who in 2002 or three, I was speaking to him when I was living in Afghanistan. And I said to him, you know, what do you think of all this stuff going on with women, liberating women and the burqa and all these things? You know, we were like in the throes of all this like campaigning for Afghan women's rights that clearly has come to next to nothing. And that's a whole other story. You know, I asked him, what do you think of all that? And he said, Lena, let me tell you what I think. The world thought they could bring freedom to Afghan women, but freedom is only one from the inside. And I thought, that's incredibly profound and very true. That unless it comes from within, within you, within you and me and them and whoever, within Afghanistan, within Haiti, within the, you know, the US, all, the, all places, it's not going to be genuine, it's not gonna be sustainable, it's not gonna be meaningful. All the disruption in the world is not going to have an impact. In fact, it could backfire, right? So that idea of you know disrupting with with caution, right, with caveats, with care, in a way that people that I see myself as in service of the people that I'm there to you know I'm there to help them to achieve the goals that they want, right. not to mold everything in in my ideal image. And I think that tension is often one that's difficult because you know we're angry, we feel that sense of injustice, we want to fix it, but how do you fix it and respect people's processes in coming to terms with it and in fixing it for themselves in the in the ways that are contextual and indigenous and meaningful and community-based and all of that stuff. And anybody who says that that doesn't exist in countries and communities has just not been looking hard enough. Mm. Because everywhere I have been, there are feminist movements, there are indigenous movements, there are people who are standing up and saying, enough. And those are the people, those are your people, you know, those are my people, because they're the, they're the disruptors. So I'm the fuel for those people. Yeah. You know, I, I love how you explain that because someone who sees themselves as a disruptor, uh, not only can it there be those moments where you can recognize that you may be the voice in the room that no one wants to hear, right? Or looking at the experience from survivors of violence and and people not wanting to hear their story or or even survivors themselves not even being willing there's so many layers of the isolation i think and it also goes back to you know what i find to be pro- deeply problematic in the international development sector is that there has to be space for a lot more listening 
and also amplifying others' stories. So I feel like just inside of this conversation, I'm thinking about disruptors and disruption in a different way that it doesn't always have to be you. It doesn't always have to be the loudest voice or the person with power causing the disruption. You can actually be disruptive in a space where you are actually observing. Mm-hmm. And that's already radical. Yeah. You know, I, I found it so interesting observing uh, how people fail to listen to women. You know, to your mm. point of just sit back and listen. One example that was right here in New York was at the onset of the pandemic. So when COVID started in New York, we were getting text messages several times a day that said, stay home, stay safe, lock down. And I thought, I'm sure you would too, that there is an assumption there that is, you know, dangerous because while home should be safe, it's not always safe for women. And that message misses the mark. And so to be pummeled with that message for six weeks or eight weeks or whatever it was over and over five or six times a day, I thought, you know, there are people who are really feeling that that message isn't reaching them. In fact, that it's harming them. So maybe two months into this aggressive messaging somebody else got a hold of the text messaging service and said well you got to stay home to stay safe but if home isn't safe for you you know we get that and call this number and it's okay and there's help for you and you know it was a little like too little too late sort of backpedaling right it was a bit clunky it was a bit like yeah don't worry we got you so sorry whoops we forgot you know oh my goodness like we went ahead and they didn't listen to you now we're We've heard from you, or somebody must have stood up and said, what the hell, wait a minute, (laughs) what kind of assumption are you making here? And then they tried to fix it. Could we have prevented that? Of course we could have. You know, listen to women, we don't listen at all. I am shocked at how little we listen to women and we expect that we just bulldoze through as if everything is gender neutral. Nothing is gender neutral, nothing. Every single thing we do, and if you're not asking 51% of the population, how do you feel about this? How might this impact you? Are we getting the tone right? Is this good for you? What are the things that we're not paying attention to? What are the things that we don't see? If you don't ask that, you're never gonna see them. And you're gonna miss the mark time and again, and you are gonna put people in danger. It's life-saving. Listening really is life-saving. Listening is life-saving. And listening is disruptive. That's the radical act. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I'm blown away by this conversation as I knew I would be, as I know I am every time. Um, I'm just really grateful for the work that you've done and how many people that you've continued to inspire through the millions of miles you've traveled around the planet. And I'm just curious if in this moment, when you think back on the last 25 years of your life, not just the career, right, your entire life, and when you look back and have this appreciation for your role as a disruptor, what do you think it's taught you? Well, I think in the end, what I realized is that I probably didn't have to go far to do good. Mm. And I think that message is important. Like I said, I loved the career trajectory I've had. I love the life journey. And I think coming from so many backgrounds and being raised in different countries, neither of which were my own, um, forces you to think through things in a very different way. You know, you end up inheriting nothing and having to understand deliberately who you are and who you want to be. It's almost an opportunity to invent yourself. 
um, and to create the person that you want to be. But for me, I realized that, sure, I could have done it anywhere. You know, if I wanted to do good work, I could have done it in the neighborhood that I lived in. I could have done it on the street that I <laughs> occupied. I could have done it in my own home. Um, and I still do it there. You know, I think that's an important message because people don't realize that. You know, I get asked a lot, like, I, I want to help, but I don't want to do it the way you did. I'm not going to Afghanistan. I'm not going to pack my things and leave my life and, and head off into the wild. You know, and I and that's absolutely right. You you don't have to. You shouldn't have to, because if you see that it exists all around us and it does, then you have an obligation to fix whatever you can in the space that you occupy, your home, your school, your, your street, your office, public office, whatever it is. There is so much good work that we can do. And imagine, like I, I said this in my TEDx talk, if we all just stood up and took responsibility for our own little patch of the world, well, then we'd be done, wouldn't, wouldn't we? I mean, isn't that the solution, really? That everybody kind of take ownership over their space, talk to their parents, children, friends, family, whomever, and say, you know what? No, that's not... That's not the kind of world I accept, and that's not that's not the kind of space we're going to have, and that's not the kind of thing you should say, and, 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 whatever, whatever it takes. Because I want to fundamentally believe that most people have that moral compass, that most people understand what is good and what is right. Not everybody is violent. Not everybody is a perpetrator. Not everybody is terrible. Um, but the people who are terrible or who do terrible things need to be instructed otherwise and they exist around us you know that's the problem you see it i see it on the street when i when a guy makes a comment to a girl who's innocently passing by minding her own business and living her own life those things happen constantly you know and that those things are tiny but they have a big impact on on us on our lives on our freedom and mobility you know maybe that girl is not going to walk that street again or is going to take the long way or is going to cross the street or isn't going to walk at all maybe she's going to take the subway maybe she's going to have to pay for a taxi to get anywhere because she's not safe on public transport or on the street you know and on and on you've got to realize like those things have a massive effect on our lives so get to the root of it and be the person who, who stands up and speaks out and and says something even if it's small, to the people around you, that's going to have an impact. Yeah. So start where you stand is what I said and what I keep saying. You know, that's the one thing I've learned. Like, do it wherever you are. It's going to make all of our lives a lot better and my job a lot easier. Right. <laughs> I'm thinking back to, um, and let me paint the scene for, for those listening. I'm in Lena's gorgeous sun-drenched apartment in New York City. It was a it was such a beautiful day. The only thing that was more beautiful was this ridiculous spread that she had made for us to just, you know, eat and nosh all all day as we like caught up and talked about um different things and where we were and she was actually interviewed for the docu series, The Ripple Effect. Um, that, that Enough Labs is producing and so honored to have, have that. And I was struck by one of the stories that you told me that I never knew about you, that you used to, <laughs> sorry, it's just the image of it makes me laugh. We're, we're, oh, we're no. pouring over all of, all of the beautiful foods that Lena yeah. has prepared, all of her like beautiful spices and accoutrements and, and she tells me that when she, when you were in college, Lena, how you used to plaster the resumes of all of the UN leaders. 
<laughs> I hope you're okay with me saying this story. Absolutely, because it's fantastically embarrassing and should be told. Well, I you, mean, so tell I, us. Tell I was us. Obsessed. You know, I said I'm going to be the person who does something meaningful with my life. I want to make a change. And when I figured out what that what the problem was, then I figured out how I can best find the solution. I said, well, I'm going to work overseas. I'm going to do international aid work. And eventually, not initially, but eventually, I'm going to be the head of an agency. And if I want to do that, I need to understand the career trajectory. I need to look at their CVs so I know they started out as a junior person, then they went into a mid-level position X, and then they, they were promoted to position Y, and then, and then, and then, and there they are, 100 years later, head of agency. So that, <laughs> that CV, so everybody, here we are, college dorm. I can imagine. What, what other people had posted on their walls was nothing what Lena had. <laughs> nothing. Everybody had photos of friends and family, Disney World trip, and the dog and thing. You know, I didn't have a dog then, otherwise I would have you know, right. been very different. Of course. Now, now everything is pictures of the dog. But, you know, back then I was like, this CV is going to be the first thing I see when I wake up in the morning. You know, one eyeball, bang. I'm going to look at that and be like, yeah, you know, got to go there and there and there and there. My roadmap. And it's going to be the last thing I see before I close my eyes, mm. even if it was 3 a.m. and I'd just been to a nightclub. Didn't matter, right? That was the last thing. What was funny about that, though, is, that, you know, I thought in a delightfully naive way that that was the only way, right? That was going to, you know, I want to be able to do something. I'm going to earn, I'm going to earn it, right? I'm going to earn that senior level. And at that senior level, I'm going to be able to make the change I want because I couldn't see it happening at any other level. I didn't see that I would be able to do it with no position at all. No title at all, no credentials at all, no degree at all, no experience at all. I didn't see that. What I saw was I'm going to arm myself with this ridiculous arsenal of degrees and experience and publications and, and work and volunteering and, and whatever. I'm going to have this, this basket that is just exploding with qualifications. And then, then I'm going to open my mouth and say, hey, listen to me. I could have done that without having any of that stuff because I knew that something was wrong and I knew that I wanted to fix it. So I think that was, <laughs> was interesting and embarrassing about that story is, you know, the, the idea that we've got to listen to that voice, right? To know, you know that this is not right, then say something and that's it. Right? Did I need to do it? Did I need to do it this like super complicated way? I mean, I loved it. It was great. It was fun. I learned a lot. You know, fantastic. But you know, at some point in my life, as I progressed up, you know, up that that CV, right? I realized, oh well, you know, I could I could be that person, but I don't need to be because I can make that change anywhere, and I can do it in ways that that also protect me and honor me. I don't need to be on the front lines of every single war zone to be able to have earned the right to speak. Mm. Absolutely. So a perfect way to close this episode, thinking about how the CVs that you made eye contact with every morning and every night, thinking those that was the blueprint. You actually created the blueprint yourself. And I would just be curious in this moment, what advice would you go back and tell 20-something-year-old Lena, knowing what you know today? I would say you're right. Yeah. Your voice is right. Your feelings are right. Your instinct is right. Your anger is right. Listen to it. Keep going. Do it in whatever way you want. 
you want to go in the field, go. You want to go to get 100 degrees, do it. If that's what you feel, do it. But don't ever for one second doubt that feeling, that anger, that just, that thing in my stomach that sat there like this is wrong and this is not the world I want. This isn't the belief that I have. I have to fix it. And that, for you know, that for me was right all along. It's always been right and it will continue to be right until we fix it. Yeah. That voice is going to be right. I love it. Lena, thank you for sitting with us today sharing us into your bringing us into your world i unlike everyone else listening had the opportunity to be welcomed into your home and i'm just i'm grateful that i'm that i'm a part of your world and i love the work that you're doing and i cannot wait for what's in store for this next chapter can you give us a little bit of a peek into what people can see or expect of the work that's forthcoming Absolutely. Well, for me, now that I work for myself, yes. which is amazing, scary, but amazing, I own my own voice. I say what I want. I write what I want. I blog all the time. And that was, for me, a way to kind of warm up and say what I thought needed to be said in the way I wanted to say it without having an agency or an organization say, mm, no, can't use that, can't say that, use this word, whatever. Nobody's language infiltrates my space except for mine. So it's a way to own my voice and reclaim it, which has been fantastic. And also to do this speaking, um, to be on the public speaking circuit with organizations and, and companies that have never heard the kind of stuff that for us we see every day and we, we've worked on for our whole lives. So that is also amazing. And the idea that I get to write my story and write myself back into the experience. You know, I didn't do this like helping other women or speaking to other women as if they were bacteria under a microscope that I was examining. You know, right. I feel like in the writing that that we do when we work with those organizations, you you are removed from the experience. Like, here's what's happening to women in Papua New Guinea, or here's the greatest crisis that's going on in Afghanistan right now, or, you know, it's not, you don't write yourself into it, because that's, it's confusing, and agencies don't really give you room for that, right? But when you have a chance to step back, zoom out, and do that personal reflection, you realize that, I mean, they've touched your life, and you've touched theirs in a way that probably didn't realize. Like, for me, in the end, my experience or my successes or my greatest moments are really just a collection of anecdotes of women and conversations we've had and moments that I've helped foster and, and opportunities that I've witnessed or, or maybe been a part of creating where I think that's, you know, that's the stuff that makes up a life, right? It's really like, it's like the image of a mosaic, which I love so much. You know, what's a mosaic really? It's like a collection of broken glass. And not until you zoom out do you see that it's, it's beautiful, it's whole, and it's complete. So beautiful. I can't wait. I can't wait to be. Um, and it's just exciting. It's just exciting to be um, on this journey of, you know, working for yourself and it. reclaiming your voice and... I think finding that freedom within. So thank you. I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you for what you do and what you've been doing and what you continue to do. It's, you're a fire starter. It's inspiring. We're all a community of fire starters. I love it. Love that. Love it. All right. Hey friend. Thanks for listening. I'm so grateful that you took time out of your day to spend some of it with us here. 
If this show means anything to you, it would mean everything to me if you made sure to rate, review, and follow the show on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Especially, be sure to leave a review and let me know what you thought. I live for feedback. Because even though it's only me and my guest at times speaking into the microphone, into wherever you may be listening, I want this to feel like a conversation. So I want to hear from you. Lastly, be sure to follow Enough Labs on all social media platforms. Because remember, beyond this being a conversation, we're building a movement.